The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Break, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, it's game weekend coming up. ETSU on the road at the Wofford Harriers. It is Wofford. It is ETSU. It is no Josh Conklin, so this is not going to be as fun as it would have been before because Wofford has a pulse. Wofford, big win. By the way, watch the game against the Citadel, and there was a distinct difference in the energy, in the effort, in everything that was going on. And and I'm not saying it's all Conklin's fault, but clearly there was something changed, things of, of looked different, the crowd atmosphere, everything. It helped they got off to a great start in that one. They go on to really roll the Citadel. And then, to be honest with you, they get a week to sit and feel really, really good and have, for the first time in, I don't know, 19 months, uh, celebrate a win and be able to have that excitement going in there. And then they got to be looking at their chops because if you just look at records, Wofford's thinking, hey, we lost to Sanford, we lost to Mercer, we lost to Chattanooga, beat the Citadel. All the other teams are particularly not real great in the league right now either. We got a chance to rattle off some wins. So I think this is a dangerous game. I definitely think so. Uh, Wofford has, uh, I mean, they have everything in front of them still. They they go out, they beat El Cid, and you're thinking, oh, well, hey, you know what? Maybe new coach, new energy, new life. You know, maybe it, the thing is players are smart, right? Players are, are smart and they are perceptive, and they can recognize when a head coach is playing out the string. And I think Wofford's players on some level or another, and they'll never admit it, and they might not even be consciously aware of it, but they perceived it and it reflected in the attitude of the team and the performances of the team that they knew Josh Conklin probably wasn't long for Spartanburg. And once you make that change and you get that out of the way, you clear that air... Then it's kind of like okay, we we still got something to play for. We can we got to prove that we are a good place to come play football, a good football team, um, because our future is in our hands and not anybody else's. There is nothing looming over us that there is no event horizon beyond which we cannot see. The future is ours to control, and that's a pretty powerful motivator for this team. Um, now you look at the defensive numbers for Wofford, still not great. 27 points a game, 7th in the SoCon. Uh, 416 yards a game, 7th in the SoCon. A 415.6, and Sanford was 415.9. Uh, rushing defense, 7th. Uh, pass defense is 5th, but that's only in yardage. And pass defense efficiency, they are last in the SOCON by a fair margin. So there's still a lot to be done defensively, but it's clear that the offense compared to the beginning of the year when they were they were shut out in, what was it, 11 straight quarters? 11 straight quarters. 11 straight quarters to start the year. Um, the offense is picking up the slack. 
and is doing things that it was not doing at the beginning of the year with Jimmy Wyrick at quarterback, who is not going to be confused for, you know, Steve McNair out there. He's not going to be confused for uh, Easton Stick or... Devlin uh, Hodges. Devlin. Uh, he's not going <laughs> to be confused for uh, a on. good quarterback. Don't show uh, your or, bias. I'm not going to say. I'm not gonna be, he's not going to be confused for an All-American quarterback. He's not going to be confused for an All-American quarterback. But he is a good quarterback. Who you have to be a good quarterback to get this level. And he started to show progress coming from fourth on the depth chart to take the starting role and is kind of developing late in his college career and has shown the ability to to put together a good game here and there where if he completes 55, 58% of his passes, normally you're thinking that's not going to be enough to get you a win, but he hits some big plays. He makes some things happen with his arm and Wofford has a chance to win football games. Wyrick has played really well in the two games that the Terriers had the best chance to win, which was Kennesaw State, where it kind of fell apart on him late last drive, and... The Citadel, which they won. Those are his two best games of the year. I don't think it's a coincidence that he has shown an ability to lift that team into a competitive position when he plays well. How well will he play coming off a of bye week? That's going to be the most pertinent question. I think it's a pertinent question for this entire team is how did they channel that good feeling? Did they go out and like, chill for a week? and just not worry about anything? Or did they get in the weight room? Did they get in the film room? How much time did they spend keeping themselves sharp so that when they come back to practice, they feel good, but also they are prepared for what's coming up next, which is, of course, ETSU. And then I think two very winnable games afterward in Western Carolina and VMI. If you think this game's winnable, those games are very winnable. Hey, you can almost expect to win those games if you win this game. Probably should. Well, you look at no Josh Conklin and now two days without Josh Conklin, they have to go play Sanford in a 28-14 game. Which is not enough time to put together a whole new game plan, but they put up a fight. Yeah, and then you go 31-16. So they, they're 45 points scored, 44 given up in two games without them. Now, yeah. Citadel, two different distinct uh, possibilities, but with the Sanford offense that ETSU just saw up close and personal what it can be, mm-hmm. I think to hold them at 28 points and some of the uh, – and I'm not dove into the those last two games offensive yeah. numbers given up. And Citadel clearly last weekend an outlier. If you watch that game against West Carolina, we'll see what Grace Nunnerwood could do game two for the Citadel. But, I mean – you already the fight and the points given up, the points scored, all that in those two games, I think, show a little bit of what Wofford is can be without Josh Conklin there. And this is a, a really a riddle uh, that ETSU's had a hard time solving in the Wofford Terriers. They've not won there since '97. Now I know there was a long gap between in 2016 and cross midfield. ETSU had negative seven-yard rushing. ETSU has not had a 100-yard rusher since football has been back at ETSU versus Wofford. And those are not all great Wofford teams they have played. Now, they didn't get to play them in the COVID year. um, But last year, 81 yards for Quay Holmes. In 2019, because they didn't play in 2020, it was Jacob Sailors with 61 yards, 64 yards, excuse me, with the most rushing yards. So the Terriers have played one-score games with ETSU, even last year. 
Wofford not particularly a, a great year as they went defeated in conference play, 0-8. <laughs> ETSU, 27-21 victors. And it was Wofford that took advantage of three short fields. There was a interception, led to a three-play, 30-yard drive. Then ETSU got field position to death in the second half, had to punt from their end zone twice, both not very good punts. One play, 43-yard drive. One play, 47-yard drive. Five plays, 120 yards, was 60% of their offense for the entire game with three scores on short fields. If they had to go a long field, weren't very successful. Uh, Field position is going to be very big in this because Wofford still shows uh, propensity not to be able to drive the long field, even in the the games that Sanford and the Citadel. So if ETSU doesn't get field position to death, I think advantage ETSU. But this is not – sometimes we – I talk about this all the time, and I know people hate it, but sometimes it's about matchups and certain things. And the ETSU versus Wofford has not been a good matchup for ETSU for a lot of reasons. One, Wofford was rock and rolling when ETSU got in the league. Mm -hmm. But besides that, whatever the strength, and especially the run defense that Wofford has had – in years past has stifled ETSU and that would be my concern when I rattle off as many great uh, offensive performances ETSU had last year they use a fourth quarter screen pass that went 79 yards for a touchdown uh, or 77 yards for a touchdown on Quay Holmes's uh, eventual game-winning touchdown but it was a fourth quarter one score game ETSU always plays one score games with Wofford for whatever reason and they struggle to run the football. That is concerning, especially with the newfound maybe love of the game for the Wofford Terriers. Well, if you want to talk about matchups, I think we need to talk about corner for ETSU. Um, Obviously, Landon Parker and Elijah Huzzy are going to see a lot of each other on Saturday. I don't think that's a surprise. Um, I mean, Parker is the X receiver. He's by far the biggest guy that they tried out there. Well, no, that's not true. Devin Matthews is also pretty big, six foot four, but uh, 6'3", 210. He's their leading receiver by a lot. He's a guy that's gonna that, that Wyrick looks for, and you would expect Huzzy to be in his hip pocket most of the day. I would expect uh, ETSU to want to put Huzzy in as many situations where he's covering Parker as they can possibly muster without drastically altering the scheme of the defense. What about the other guys? ETSU is a little thin at corner right now. You know, we don't know what what Quinn's status is for this week. Uh, there were several other injuries picked up during the Sanford game at corner. You have a quarterback that's gaining confidence. You have a wide receiver that he trusts. He's trying to build relationships with those other wide receivers this seems like it might be a good opportunity for them to do that. So um, whoever goes out there at corner other than Huzzy is, is going to be put into a situation where uh, they have to win. Their, if they win their matchups consistently, that's going to give the Bucks a chance to get some pressure home, to make Wyrick uncomfortable, maybe get him on the ground a couple of times, and uh, ultimately stymie the Wofford passing attack, which I think is going to stall out the Wofford offense because – they lean a fair amount on the pass game. And certainly when they are in games and have a chance to win games, they have leaned quite heavily on the pass attack. So it's going to come down to matchups in the secondary versus all these wide receivers that Whopper's going to try out. 123 FCS teams right now currently. Is uh, it just 123? I, I think it was way more than that. I thought it was 123. How many teams you got? 
Uh, I not, went to the NCAA stats just a second ago when we were here doing the total rushing yards. Now, maybe they don't have everybody else. Uh, Massey says 130, but that doesn't count teams that are transitioning. So maybe so the, maybe less St. Thomas. Maybe they are not included Commerce, in the NCAA uh, team stats. Jacksonville. So maybe, it's, maybe when you take away all of the teams that are still transitioning that are technically FCS teams. Using the NCAA.org, which I feel like is a pretty good site, stats, or .com, is that a .com? Or uh, you know, someday, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Backslash FCS, and you go to rushing offenses. Okay. It lists 123 teams. Okay. Would you like to guess where Wofford ranks in rushing in the nation? 119th. Correct. One, really? Yes. Uh, yes. Wow. Yes, that is impressive. One hundred and and I know you didn't know that because you we just argued over the whole thing here. So one hundred and nineteenth out of one twenty three, there were six consecutive years they led the nation in rushing, seventy six point nine rushing yards per game. So they rely on the passing game. Yes, and what's even worse, I think, and what would play into ETSU's strengths in this game is if they are as anemic running the football as they've proven all year, and then ETSU can get in the recon package. They can throw some exotic blitzes at Jimmy Wyrick and that offensive line and go. So I think this is – defensively, this is one of the better matchups ETSU could face. And on the flip side, I think this is a defense that has somehow – ETSU against a base 3-4 has struggled to run the ball against, and that includes going mm-hmm. – a lot of 12 and 22 personnel the last couple years and just, you know, fullback tight ends coming right at you downhill still can't get to 100 yards. So I'll be curious to see if maybe the run game dictates this either way on who could do what because ETSU has a better run game than Wofford, just mm-hmm. statistically speaking. I think Jacob Saylor is by far the best back that's going to be on the field that day. But in the same token, it's a struggle that ETSU – has still and, and the, the co-defense coordinators that have been there the last couple of years that have stymied ETSU rush game are still there. You also have to be aware when you're in those third and six, third and seven situations. I mean, think about Chattanooga. They, the ETSU got in the recon package and Chattanooga would run the ball on third and six. They'd run the ball on third and five. Situations where you think, okay, they're going to pass. They're going to try to throw something just past the sticks, so guard the sticks. They hand it to a limb forward, and he's got all kinds of room because you're playing with a light box or you're playing with um, you know lighter personnel in the box, and their offensive line could lean on you a little bit. Now, Wofford's offensive line traditionally is not as big as Chattanooga's is because it's it used to be you know an option team, um, but now they're pretty good-sized dudes. It's uh, 300 all the way across the, the offensive line for the Terriers now. So this is a team that can get after it a little bit. If you if you give them the opportunity, they sh- should and probably will take what you give them because that's what they've seen on film in terms of tendencies over the course of the season. How does Billy Taylor stay ahead of what he has put on film to continue to put his players in positions to be successful? Now, things I think that are going to back up my case for ETSU and the defense and things helping out. Would you like to know who is 122 and 121 in rushing offenses? One of them is probably VMI. Correct. And the other one is Bobby Moe? And, and you, good, good deducing because of why I'm asking. But, yes, 
Bobby Moe is 122 at 64 yards and VMI is at 71.7. And look how the defenses and those results pretty well. uh, did for each tissue. Well. So that's why I have a lot of high confidence for the defense to be successful. And a lot of turnovers and special teams led to ETSU having short fields, led to the offense. I think ETSU can do that again. And Tyler Rodell, the last six quarters, has been pretty outstanding throwing the football. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think the secondary for Wofford could be a little tested, especially if ETSU can get some run game. I think if ETSU becomes one-dimensional, we'll see. Uh, there are some dynamic playmakers, and now that Rydell's also spreading the ball around, it's not just look Will Huzzy, you know, on, on first, second, and third down. They're doing some other things. The scramble drill seems to be going well for ETSU right now. There's a lot of things, I think, that could point towards Wofford having a big day, but there's a couple key things where I think this this could be tailor-made for ETSU to have a nice breakout rushing game, to be able to make some plays down the field, the defense force some turnovers, and ETSU get their first win since 97 there. Here's a question for you, and this is something that just popped into my head hearing you talk, because you talk about Rydell passing the ball. Well, Isaiah Wilson passed the ball. Um, they run a lot of trick plays. They did the flea flicker to Noah West mm-hmm. for the touchdown right um you've got three games left you're not going to the playoffs and and from from that perspective your season is is over um these games you're playing for pride you're playing to you know have a good time essentially playing football what stops you in your position if you put you put you on the offensive headset you're in the booth you're adam nugabauer today what stops you from going back to the bag of tricks a couple more times? Giving your guys some fun things to think about, some fun things to work on in practice that you go out and implement in a game um, because you're trying to win every game like it's your last game now because for all intents and purposes, these are your last games. You know that your season is going to end on November 19th at... I don't even know what time that game is supposed to kick off. I don't know if it's been announced yet. It has not been announced. Yeah, it's probably a noon kick. Uh, Hopefully. So yeah, yeah, you're probably looking at like your season at 3.30 is going to end on November 19th. You know when it's ending. So why not go all out and have some fun and and throw some shenanigans at teams and see what happens? Now, obviously, you, you want to run your, your system and you still have plenty of opportunity to do that. But also... Let's let's get in the bag of tricks a little bit here. Last year, ETSU had seven games. They scored 30 or more points. Uh-huh. Uh, this year, four. Uh-huh. And they've got a possibility of the next two games because Western, if nothing else, Western will be in a shootout or at least proven they'll give up 35 just getting out of bed. Yep. So you got a shot to throw 35 on the board there. You got a shot to maybe get to 30 against Wofford. Then you have four, and then you look at the end of the season – In your last four games going into Mississippi State, Mm -hmm. you would have 30 or more points um, for four straight and kind of maybe seeing what the offense could be with another year with everybody being in it and all the other things. So I'm with you. And why, yes, why not make it fun? It seemed like there was some things and designs for Sanford to – and they worked. I mean, the the one thing that I thought that was impressive, uh, the execution of the – the flea flicker reverse, reverse flea flicker, whatever that thing was. Yeah. And Noah West held like he was supposed to. I thought the other thing was a schematic design on the quarterback power 
with yeah. Baron May that if you show trips to the one side, that they will actually take the middle linebacker out of the box. And so when they went trips and they didn't identify the new quarterback in quick enough, that two guys had to block one. Pretty easy touchdown for Baron May. Mm-hmm. And then Isaiah Wilson hasn't thrown a pass since he was like a junior in high school. <laughs> and the fact that they did sort of a, hey, who can throw the ball? Yeah, I can do it. And then they go, you know, again, I agree. Have fun. Um, what do you got to lose? Um, yeah, you have absolutely nothing left to lose. I mean, if you do lose to Wofford, you've got a lot of questions. But if you do go out there, you get a win, you get some momentum, you get another win. Again, end the season on a couple big wins. You're 5-5 five and five going into Mississippi State, and stranger things have happened. Massey expects ETSU to win both of its last two games against FCS opponents, by the way. Uh, including, I, a I road tri- including the road trip to Wofford. Uh, they are actually, Massey says, 65% chance to win. Western Carolina, 64% chance to win. And that game is at home. So yeah. that tells you a lot about what what the, the computers and what the tendencies are telling you about uh, this matchup. So, hit it. Right, it's Southern. Oh, yeah. you you Almost fell for your it. own fake ending. Almost got it. Jay, bye. Come on. Right, All right, the first game uh, is Mercer at VMI. Uh, okay, I'm done. Next game <laughs> is Samford at the Citadel. And no, I'm not going to go that one quickly because I do believe styles clashes make sometimes ugly games, but yet intriguing games. And I feel like if Grayson Underwood can have some drives like he did against Samford, then it could be interesting. The problem is I don't think he can do that because Samford's defense is so much better than Western Carolina. But I don't discount that the Citadel can play keep away and be able to put enough points on the board to make this a little more interesting than what I think most people think it will be. If the Citadel can limit the number of possessions in the game and then score on, say if they get like seven possessions and they score on four of them, and Sanford scores on three of them, then you win the football game. More than likely. There's there's a decent chance there. I, I do think the, the real story for me is the Grayson Underwood encore. What yeah. does this guy who prior to last week had not thrown a pass since, what, 2018, 2019? It's been a long time. No, what it, does he have next? It was a junior in high school. Was that 2018? I gave you that stat yesterday. You think I remember that. Uh, anyways, 2017 or 18. Yeah. Uh, was his uh, high school junior year. It was the last time he had thrown a pass. And, boy, they, they responded. He ran the four-yard clouded us to a – Perfection. Now he met some misreads. It's been twenty eighteen sure. was his junior. Yeah, year so twenty eighteen was junior high school. That was last time uh, that he threw uh, a pass in a game that counted. I'm sure, he's throwing some in practice, but an actual game mm-hmm. a pass that counted. Junior high school, so impressive for Grayson Underwood uh, and for Coach Thompson. And they're going to get him a home, and we know that they play normally. Citadel plays better at home. The cadets will be out there. They'll be uh, raucous and rowdy. Samford has a tendency over the past several years to lay a horrific egg, and they've not done so this year. Yep. So that would put that on high alert, too. Now, I'm not mm-hmm. calling for the upset, but I'm just saying. Uh-oh. I'm just saying. 
Thank you for using the Star Trek red alert for that as well. Be on alert. Okay. That's all I got on that one. I don't know if you have any more intriguing facts you want to throw out there. Um, no more intriguing facts. Uh, I do think this Sanford team is better than your typical Sanford team. But like you said, we usually see somebody, somebody in this conference lay an egg in a game they should win and it costs them a playoff spot. I don't know that that is this game for Sanford. I think they still have margin for error. I think they certainly, I mean, with with Chattanooga and Mercer still on the schedule to come, you still have the opportunity to win your way back in. But also, if you lose this game, you have to win at least one of those to get in. Uh, And you might even still need to win both. I mean, it just depends on what happens with the bubble. Right, you take care of your business right now. You take care of your business next week. You win one of those two games between Chat and Mercer. You're in. You lay an egg this week, and you go beat VMI, and then you've got a situation where you're really going to be under pressure the last two weeks of the year. This is a chance to take the pressure off yourself in the home stretch of the season. And traditionally, there has always been a team, a team somewhere in the league. Oftentimes, it is in fact Sanford that steps on that proverbial rake. And I just wonder if this isn't the week where somebody steps on the rake. This is an interesting week because I don't know that you're going to find four conference games with the margin between the series so thin. Wofford leads ETSU 15-14. Mm-hmm. Mercer leads VMI 5-3. to Sanford leads Citadel 8-7. to The last game has the biggest spread – but considering it played 51 games, it's not egregious. 30 to 21, Furman leads the all-time series. It is Chattanooga on the road at Furman. Chattanooga put a lot. So Mercer put a lot of emphasis on beating ETSU, mm-hmm. and I think it showed some lack of whatever coming out the next week at Chattanooga. It just looked flat. Chattanooga put a lot of stock beating Mercer. Mm-hmm. Do they? come out flat against a resurging running attack of Dominic Roberto and the Furman Paladins against the best run defense or the best front in most of FCS. This is also probably the best offensive line in the conference and the best one that Chattanooga's faced since Illinois. So um, this group's playing really well. I think it's a great matchup, a great challenge uh, for both of these teams in the trenches. I am excited to say I think this game is going to be a lot closer and it's going to be a fourth quarter game where Mercer Chattanooga was not. If I'm wrong, Chattanooga is clearly a seed and might even, I mean, who knows what else is going to happen in the Valley and the chaos and the big sky. You know, some of those teams have to lose and they chop each other up a little bit. Maybe Chattanooga sneaks its way into a top four. Um, It's a lot to ask. But if they win this game in blowout fashion, it's hard for me to envision them doing anything else the rest of the way. I think this is their best test. Uh, I think this is their toughest game. I do think Furman is good. I think the non-counter might ultimately leave them on the wrong side of the bubble because they'll have one less FCS win or one fewer FCS win than a lot of other bubble teams that they might be stacked up against. We'll see. Uh, But ultimately, this matchup is one in the trenches with Furman's offense on the field and Chattanooga's defense on the field. Chattanooga's going to be able to run the ball pretty capably. They're going to throw the ball decent. 
Uh, Furman, I think, can run or can throw the ball okay. Um, it's can they run the ball and sustain drives for long periods of time uh, and be able to move the ball in a variety of ways that allow them to keep the defense off balance. And if they can get the run game going a little bit and they can blunt that pass rush, which is something that very few teams in college football have been able to do this year, I think you're going to be able to give yourself a chance to win this game. But it's a big ask. If Tyler Huff can move around the pocket, that too, I think that that could certainly help. Ron Miller's a tough matchup for most people. I think he scored in something crazy like 12 consecutive games now. Yeah. Um, Uh, Here's the other question is, at what point do you start affording Jay Person the respect he deserves and maybe throw a double team his way or a running back his way and chip him somehow? Like, find some way to control that guy because teams are so focused on Devontae Maxwell, and rightly so, that Person's going to win Defensive Player of the Year from getting the more favorable matchups. Just from the more – not because he's talented – I mean, he is talented. Don't get it twisted. Like the dude's really good, but he's gonna—he's getting so many favorable matchups because he's playing with another dude that's getting NFL looks that everybody is obsessed with. At what point do you roll the dice and say we gotta commit something to person to stop him from getting to the quarterback because he's doing it too easily right now? I'd be curious to see what kind of adjustments. Furman makes up front. So, I I don't know. That one that one's a big toss up. Um that's the big game of the week and so that is our Southern Conference tilts for the week. The best games of the week or at least the ones these two dorks want to watch. Nerd! It's the Pick 6. You pick that up all by yourself. Shut up, Brent. Ah, Waterboy. Fun movie. Not a good movie, but a fun movie. Um, All right. So, last week I did okay. I was three and three. You were two and four. Both looking to do better this week. I'm going to get us a Sickos game to get us started. And Jay, I don't know if you know this. This this is, so we're taping the show Thursday. Mm -hmm. Thursday night, tonight, October 27th. In the year of our good Lord, 2022. Good Lord, it's a lot of football. That's what it is. Uh, 27 consecutive days with college and NFL football. Starts tonight. Love it. So I'm going to pick us a Thursday night game to get it going. Uh, Louisiana at Southern Miss at the 50-yard line for the pick six. So the Raging Cajuns, uh, the Golden Eagles. Uh, yep, they are in Hattiesburg, which is down around Biloxi. That's an hour away, but I uh, I just wanted to sing Jimmy Buffett on the show. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, you look at Southern Miss and uh, <laughs> loss of Liberty, Miami, Florida. They beat Northwestern State by a drum, Tulane. Arkansas State, Louisiana. I'm trying to do quick research. Tell you what, uh, I'm going to go – Oof, since I've done no research on this, I'm going to go home team, Southern Miss, Thursday night, short notice, playing in front of their home crowd, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. 
Uh, Louisiana is way better running the ball, way better passing the ball, and they're better on scoring defense. The, uh, the, this game feels like a mismatch to me, honestly, or certainly that one that people are reading as tighter than it's probably going to be. Give me the Raging Cajuns to take care of business on the road. 40-yard line, Chattanooga at Furman. I think last week I had a gut and didn't go with it because I couldn't say the word. This week it's much easier, Furman Paladins. The uh, Furman Paladins. The Furman Paladins. Okay. I am going to do what you can't. Chattanooga. Yeah, that's fair. Chattanooga's going to win. Yeah, of course you're just going to Chatt- keep giving me these Chattanooga games where you know I can't say Chattanooga. You're going to keep Chattanooga racking up wins. Is it's unfair. The, it's unfair. I picked Mercer last week, dog. Come on. Uh, all right, 30-yard line. Rhode Island at William & Mary. Big matchup in the CAA. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, it, boy, Rhode Island. Every here's, time, here's a question for you. Is anyone in the CAA actually good? That's a great question. Uh, I think hey. they are. I think they are. It's kind of a conference in the background this year, but I just don't have any faith in any of these teams to separate themselves from each other. This is a chance for Bill and Mary to do that. Right, and every time I think I have like Rhode Island semi-figured out, like they seem to surprise me. And mm-hmm. for William and Mary, kind of had a, I mean, I think the Elon game losing at home, uh, kind of an eye opener for them. And since I think I have a better idea of William and Mary, and I do Rhode Island, I'm going to go William and Mary. Bill and Mary at home. I'm a big Mike London fan. I, I think he's done a great job rebuilding that program. I'm going to take the tribe as well. So, uh, for once, we agree. So if we if we if we fall, we fall together. Twenty yard line. This is the kind of game that both of these teams love to lose. Northern Iowa at Southern Illinois. <laughs> yes. Playoff yes, eliminator as well. Yeah, that, you know, that's well. what I was going to ask you, but you already answered that. I was going to say, is a loser out? Yes. And uh, you've already said yes. Uh, how do you feel about the Salukis? Uh, me, not very well. Um, <sighs> I just can't figure them out. I mean, I thought at the beginning of the year, I said, ooh, it's going to be a long year because they got boat raced by Incarnate Word, and then they lost at home. Now, granted... There were some PI calls on that final SEMO drive that you're just kind of like, I don't know about that. But SEMO was able to get down the field and score points. SIU still had plenty of opportunities to stop them. Always could have stepped up and forced the takeaway. Never did any of that. Then they go out and beat Northwestern. And they beat UND. And you're thinking, okay, this team's finally got it back together. They blow out, uh, well, maybe not blow out, but they, they beat pretty comfortably Missouri State. You're thinking, all right, now we're rolling. Now we're rolling. Now we're in business. They go to South Dakota and pfft, I can't figure it out. Northern Iowa is a team on the other side. They always schedule tough early and they always play bad early and they get better as the year goes along. Well, I think it's going to be Theo's day. You think it's Theo's uh, day? I do, I do, because that's the quarterback, Theo Day. I think he is going to uh, do what Northern Iowa does at the end of the year, as you've already stated, and I'm taking the Panthers. I just can't pick Northern Iowa for anything, man. Give me the Salukis. I just, I have no faith in It's a great breakdown. I have have more (laughs) faith in SIU this year with the overall talent they have than I do in Northern Iowa. It's just a it's just a, a gut thing. Uh, ten yard line. This almost was the goal line at the pick six. This is the big one for me. 
You ready for this? Fordham at Holy Cross. Mm, I thought for a second you were going to go Robert Morris at Appalachian State, but you decided to go yeah. against that one. Uh, Fordham at Holy oh, Cross. Boy, Holy Cross. The winner has been of a this game story. probably wins the Patriot League. And Holy Cross has been really the the story that people have refused to kind of give me any credit. Kind of, you know. And again, when they won at Buffalo, I think that should have been like the the first. And then they, you know, Yale. Colgate, and Buffalo Harvard is good. Buffalo's yes. like five and three right now, and I think they're going to go bowling. And and the other entry part of that is the only you know loss for Fordham was a spectacular, which I told you about a few, uh, it might have been your first week here. Watch oh, that was a great game against w- Ohio. Watch, yeah. watch that 59-52 game because a buddy of mine texted me and said, hey, Fordham's up, you know, 52-46 or whatever it was at that time, and then watch Ohio score the last couple uh, touchdowns. Matter of fact, the buddy's an Ohio fan. So he was like, hey, I can't believe you're not watching this. And So I tuned in to watch the, the very end of it. So they have been very entertaining. This is going to be, I think, a slugfest, high-scoring affair as much as I love a good story in Holy Cross, I think the Fordham Rams are going to go in there and get a dub. Are you speechless? Sluka to Coker, then Sluka to Coker, and Sluka to Coker again. Holy Cross wins this game by multiple scores. Oof. They are they're they're ready to go. They're locked in. They were looking ahead to this game, and that's why they kind of had to rope-a-dope their way past Lafayette. They are all about it. Holy Cross makes a statement win on Saturday. And the goal line, a very important game for the seeding picture in the FCS playoffs. Montana at Weber State. Yeah, I figured you would have this one on the board. And, uh, you know, the Grizz... uh, That's a team I'm not quite sure what to do with, too, because not that they didn't lose two quality opponents the last two weeks in Idaho and uh, Sac State. And look good. I actually caught the replay um, on Monday night uh, mm-hmm. when you were talking about the ending of that. And I knew and I paid attention to the score, but I didn't watch the game. But the replay of that was on, and I happened to watch the end of the mid end of the third quarter, kind of mid-third quarter-ish, all the way through the rest of the contest. And that was a would have, should have, could have – type game I think for Montana they probably several plays there late fourth quarter wish they had back then Weber State had the unfortunate in uh, FCS record of four safeties snapped over the head that led to mm-hmm. eight points and of course they lose by less than eight points and so you're by five yes kind of scratching your head and what to do there and because I believe everything is kind of up in the air nobody knows What's up, what's down is why I think Montana is going to throw yet another monkey wrench into this whole FCS system. And I believe the Grizz will go on the road and pick up a win. There is no indication that Lucas Johnson is going to play in this game for Montana. He was knocked out in the second quarter of the Sacramento State game. Uh, their offense was clicking along, and then suddenly. And they it did was... show him on the sideline like every 32 seconds that they could. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Uh, there's no indication that he's going to play, at least not yet. It could change. They could just be keeping it quiet. Maybe there's not an issue at all, but he did not return to that game, and that would be a significant concern for me because just like last year, when Montana's starting quarterback goes out of the game, what happens? Their offense 
falls apart. I trust Weber to get the special teams miscues corrected. That won't happen twice. Give me the Wildcats to win against Montana and knock the Grizz out of the seed race. And the extra point. We got to pick one of those. You got to have yourself a, and you had a little bit of time to think about this, a little bit of time to process it. The game that if you get it right, it's a win. But if you get it wrong, it doesn't count against you. So take a swing. Uh, Nebraska at home versus the Fighting Illini of Illinois. Ooh, okay. So Nebraska over Illinois. All right, so I had to do some some digging for this one, and I tried to condense my thoughts. And I kind of came down to, while having only allowed humble endeavors... Hourly availing select times reluctantly on underdogs battling legitimate, elevated with intent title hopefuls. Those heretofore excursions signal no apparent predictors. That's a lot. That's a lot to say. That's kind of verbose. Let me just condense that into an acronym. Whoa, he has trouble with the snap. Give me Michigan State over Michigan Mm -hmm. and the big house. Mm -hmm. I had a weird feeling that that tradition of people taking Michigan State over Michigan would uh, continue. Mm-hmm. Even though you didn't know that was a tradition, but uh, it is, and uh, I didn't know that. But it's not a bad, uh, it's not a bad play. I mean, I just, I've only I just, won I ten wanna, in the last fifteen. Wanna... Whoa, he has trouble with the snap. That's so good. No one likes Sean McDonough. Anyways, what are we talking about? I mean, I yeah, but it's that's a great call. It's a great call. But yeah, that is uh, that is the extra point, and we will see how catastrophically we both managed to fail, even though we mostly picked different teams. It's prediction time. Yes, prediction. Something big. Bold. Sometimes right. Like it's in the future. Most times wrong. Did that go the way you thought it was going to go? Nope. Never dull. I'm trying to write all this down. This is shocking. Was that bold enough? This is bold prediction. Prediction? Pain. I was not painful last week for me. Two and one. I'm five and two. I don't even know what my predictions were. Yeah, I gotta go back. Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, I had yeah, like I think I had the like... Citadel and VMI scoring fewer than seventeen combined. Yeah. Which VMI held up its end and the Citadel did not. Right. Yeah, like multi takeaways free TSU defense. That didn't happen. Yeah, and then there was some racing thing I didn't understand, but you told um, me. It didn't oh yeah, work Daniel out. Ricardo top five at the US Grand yeah, Prix. You told me that, that didn't, didn't go well either. No. <laughs> no, it did not. No, it did not. Okay. Um so I guess you get honors. This week. Yeah, I'm going to go, off first. Uh, and I brought it up earlier, but ETSU's not had a 100-yard rusher versus Wofford since football's been back, and it will be Jacob Sailors for the first time, a Buccaneer since football's been back, will rush for 100 yards or more against the Wofford defense. Wow. I, that's that's bold. I think that's reasonably bold. I mean, that's la- a good that's Last a good year, setter. 81 yards on 20 carries for Quay Holmes, again, in all kinds of different – formations sailors uh had another i think it was 40 yards in there and then in 2019 it was flipped it was sailors mm-hmm. who had more yardage than Holmes, but neither one in a run heavy off uh, offense couldn't get to 100 yards against wofford so i'm going to go with a pass heavy offense etsu will get 100 yards rushing okay a pass heavy offense etsu gets 100 yards rushing well i tell you last week etsu had 513 yards of offense. You want to talk about it getting a 100-yard rusher. I think that's possible. I don't know if it's necessary for this one. The Buccaneers will have 
500 yards of total offense in consecutive weeks by doing it again against a team with a similar total defense in the Wofford Terriers. I'm going to take the West Virginia Mountaineers at home to knock off the seventh-ranked Horn Frogs of TCU. Men's soccer wins the regular season SoCon title outright. Oof, love it. That, that, that doesn't mean UNCG has to lose to Wofford. It just means UNCG has to not win. And, and the men, if the men win, if ETSU wins and UNCG ties or loses, then ETSU is the outright Southern Conference champion, which I do think a draw is reasonably possible. I think a loss would be asking a lot from Wofford. But. Go ahead. My last one. Okay. The Furman Paladins. The Furman Paladins. Yes, they will knock off the Chattanooga I'm Mox. so sad that we lost that that button off the bar. I think I can. You can salvage that? I, I can't, but I know I think where we made that on Pro Tools. So the Furman I, Paladins. I need to get that back. Yeah, we got we to have that. Okay. I, have, I have never played. We were talking about D&D very briefly at the end yesterday. I've never played a Paladin. I've played a Druid. I've played an Artificer. I've played a Warlock. I've played a Sorcerer. I've played a Bard, a Ranger, a Fighter. I've never done Barbarian and Paladin. Those are the only two, I think. Yeah, and again... And Wizard. Wizard. I've never I always enjoy our conversations on things that I have no idea what you're talking about. Exactly. And that uh, you rattle out there. But again, different uh, subsection of the crowd, I'm sure, is uh, the audience. Yeah, pa- Pally is not on my checklist, so... I will, I guess, maybe if, you know what? If Furman, play, if Furman wins the Southern Conference, if they win a share of the Southern Conference title or We're the title outright, it? I will roll up a yeah. Paladin. There you go. My other bold prediction is the Seahawks will win the NFC West. Oh, that, boy, that was a tangent yesterday we got on you. It was. The Seahawks win NFC West. Geno okay. Smith, baby, let it ride. We started reading the roster, and we were laughing at four and three, and then you've come full circle. That team's going to win. Football at that level is just dumb. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just dumb. Okay, good show. Yeah. Uh, We'll be back Monday. That's a good, dumb show. Yes. Hey, we're going to get some basketball in next week. We are. We're going to talk to both head coaches, and we'll check on players, but we will talk ETSU men's and women's basketball because exhibition season's around the corner as well. Yes, it is, and I'm really looking forward to – all of that that's going to happen while I'm moving my family to Tennessee and am not here. <laughs> All right, another show Monday. We'll recap football. Then Let's do later it. in the week, we'll talk hoops on the Jay and Key Show. Lightning Network! Oh, you got to be kidding me!